Well, good morning. How is everybody? We're so glad that you're here. I am honored to be able to speak to you on Father's Day. The last time I spoke on Father's Day, I got to have a race car on stage with me. Um, so not today, but I, you know, looking at the subject matter that we're going to be talking about today, you know, I wanted to have some good illustrations, and you know, you want to kind of up the ante a little bit. And I was like, well, you know, can can we have a tank on stage? No. Can you have a helicopter? No. Something about taking the roof off. I don't know what that was. You know, a bearcat, ATV, whatever. No. But I hope this morning that we're able to do some warfare in this room. Because what God wants to, wants to teach us through this letter that John wrote us is just that. It is waging war on who we are and who God wants us to be, that we are positioning ourselves in alignment with him. And John, this morning, I pray through this letter, speaks truth to you through the scripture that we're gonna read. One thing that I know about moving forward lots of times is that it's really important to look back. We don't know where we're going sometimes if we, if we don't know where we've come from, where we've been. So I'm gonna take a step back just for a minute and I'm, I'm gonna talk about, and I want us to understand this morning who this John guy is. So we're walking through the epistles of John or the letters of John, first, second, third John. And today, I think it's so important, especially in what we're gonna talk about for us to understand who this dude is. Because when we understand who he is, we, we get his perspective. And man, when we understand what his perspective was, it, it colors everything that he writes. And it makes this letter begin to weigh heavy on who we are based on what John has done. So we're gonna, we're gonna jump back to Mark chapter three. I'm gonna ask you to turn there today, but I'm gonna tell you a couple stories, okay? Because I want, I want us to understand who this is. So John had a brother named James. These two brothers were the sons of a man named Zebedee, and they were fishermen, okay? So ordinary, ordinary guys. And one day, Jesus came upon them, and he said, listen, guys, I want you to come out of the boat, and I want you to follow me. From this day forward, you're not gonna be fishers of fish anymore. You're gonna be fishers of people. And it completely changed their life. And, and that's, how the, that's how scripture describes it, just like that. He walks up to him and says, hey guys, stop what you're doing. You're coming and you're gonna follow me. And Jesus, not long after that, gives these two brothers a nickname. Now, nobody gives nicknames like God does. Nobody, all right? And this is no exception. Jesus gives... James and John, the nicknames of the sons of thunder. The sons of thunder. I can't even, it's not even, not even. I mean, you gotta have like this Thor type voice to you know, really convey that nickname. But he gives them this nickname not long after knowing them, almost, um, you almost hear a little, a little sarcasm in, in, in Jesus's tone when he gives this nickname to them. And it plays out 
Later on, as they're walking with Jesus, this this sons of thunder type personality begins to come out and you realize why Jesus gives them this name. If we're in Luke, we see this story where Jesus and all the 12 disciples are together and they're about to go into a Samaritan village. And Jesus sends a couple of them ahead and says, I want you to go and I want you to tell them we're coming and prepare them that we're coming and so they go ahead and the town says, nope, we don't, we don't want any of that. Y'all go away. And so they come back and they tell Jesus and James and John say to him, they said, Lord, don't you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? And Jesus is like, hold on, hold this train up. What? No, we're not consuming anybody with fire, right? But we see this brash arrogant, I mean, jerkish type of behavior from James and John. The sons of thunder. But as you go further on in their time, when John's time with Jesus, you begin to see John in particular you begin to see this sons of thunder type persona change into what we understand him to be from the scripture that he writes. John, most of the time, got to go in or Jesus would send him and maybe another one, James or Peter, those were kind of the inner three. He would always send them ahead to prepare for them to come. John was the first one to go into Jerusalem before the crucifixion. John sat at the right hand of Jesus at the Last Supper. At the cross when Jesus is dying and he's looking down and John and Mary are right there at his feet. He looks at John and says, John, that's your mom. And he looks at Mary and says, Mary, that's your son. John, take care of my mom. We see a transformation of when Jesus first meets John to the John that we know of as the beloved of disciples. Jesus' best friend. His nickname for us now, lots of times, he's the apostle of love. That's what he writes about. That's what he conveys in his writings to us. And what we're going to look at today is a direct depiction of John's time with Jesus. This is not some ethereal thought that John has about who God is. This is what John experienced from his time step to step for years with Jesus and how it changed him. We're going to see today what he was taught by being friends with the Almighty. If you got your Bible this morning, turn to 1 John, and we're going to end, we're going to end chapter 2, and we're going, to, we're going to get into chapter 3, but we've, we're going to kind of tie chapter 2 together and then go into chapter 3. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. 
Listen to this. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. First statement is powerful. He comes out swinging and he says, and now little children, abide in him. Now, if we look at one of John's other writings in John 15, we understand because John lays this out, this phrase out to abide in him and what that means. He uses an illustration of the vine and the branches. And he says, God is the vine and we are the branches. When we abide in him, when we are connected to him, we produce fruit. John, in in this specific passage, gives us a, a good picture of what that fruit is. And it begins to take shape on what that fruit becomes when we are connected to him. He says, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of God. That that is the fruit that comes from the vine to the branches and produces in us righteousness. So what is righteousness? I think the best thing that we can do so many times with, with scripture is ask questions. I think a lot of times we, we read past something and we think we know what, what the definition of something is and, and we kind of take it for granted, but we don't ask the questions that we need to ask. This morning, I hope we get to ask some of those questions and answer them like this. What is righteousness? What does that mean? I bet if I went through with a microphone and we did like a man on the street kind of thing, I would get a hundred different answers of what righteousness is. Now, if we look at the dictionary definition, it's simple. It's a moral and ethical right. To me, that sounds like a, like a checklist, right? Everybody knows I love checklists. Wonderlist, Evernote, Task World, man, I got them all, right? We love those things. I do anyways. I love to check off things and man, I'm, I'm getting stuff done. I'm being productive, all that kind of stuff. And that's what this sounds like to me is a checklist. Something morally I did right. Yes, I did all that right. I didn't do this wrong, right? But what John is describing as righteousness to us today, it's much more alive than that. It's much more alive than that. Because a checklist is just dead. When it's over with, it's just dead. But what he's talking about producing is alive. It's dynamic. The righteousness that John is describing to us is describing the closeness and likeness of God, how, how we look, how we portray, does it look like God? Does it look like Jesus? 
How close in likeness are we to him? If you look at my kids, you will see a, a likeness of me, of Christy, especially my daughter. And I, I've said this before, and I, I, you know, I know that the Lord has a great sense of humor because my daughter is me in a girl's body. And Lord help me, is that scary? And my daughter is, she's amazing and I, I love her. But I know her weaknesses. I know her strengths. I know what she struggles with. I know what she's gonna knock out of the park and she's not gonna have to worry about and I know what she's going to struggle with and she's gonna have to dig into and she's gonna have to work really hard to get through. And it's the same thing with our relationship with God. God knows that about us. God knows our weaknesses and he knows our strengths. My kids have an image of me on them. And you can tell who my daughter is, not only by seeing her, but when you're around her, things will come out of her mouth that come out of my mouth. And sometimes I wanna be like, whoa, 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 we can't say that in public. Right? <laughs> How many of you have had kids and you're like, oh, I wish I could get that back in there? But the more they're around me, the more they're around Christy, the more they take on not just our image, but our resemblance. How we act, our attitude, how we treat people, where our joy is. They will take on not only our physical image, but our spiritual image. And we know that the more they're around us, the more they will be like us. The power of this passage that John is trying to get across to us today and it's the only point I have today, this is a one point message, is that God's resemblance equals God's righteousness. God's resemblance equals God's righteousness. And it's not about following a moral and ethical code. It's about when people look on us what do they see? And what this does is the resemblance of God will result in what our identity is, simply in what fruit comes out, what it produces. Is it producing righteousness? Is it producing things of God? Now, here's the deal. Everyone loves to know who they are, right? Everybody loves taking personality tests. They love to you know, figure out if they're strong in one area or weak in one area or they're really good at something, they're you know, not good at something. Have you ever seen those Facebook, that, you know, those really silly Facebook tests where you can take and they tell you which Avenger you are? I can't believe that people waste time on those things. I'm Captain America, by the way. <laughs> but, but look, look at how popular horoscopes are. I, I didn't realize but I mean, 
horoscopes are so popular. I mean, in America, it, the, it's staggering how many people look at horoscopes every single day to try to figure out you know, who they are and what their purpose is, what their future's gonna be, all that stuff. Can I tell you something? I would rather the creator of the stars tell me what my future and purpose is than the stars themselves. God wants you to know how to resemble him, what happens when you resemble him. And he knows who we are. He knows our strengths and weaknesses. And God even gives us this same type of test in Galatians 5.22. That we can know. We don't have to guess if, if we are resembling him. Verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. We have to test ourselves to know if we resemble him or we are displaying his attributes. If we're not displaying his attributes based on Galatians 5, we can, again, do a really powerful thing and ask the question, why? Now listen, this is not condemnation or a checklist. It's simply an indication of process. It's an indication of process. I started the journey here. I'm here. This is where I wanna be. I remember playing football and we would do, you know, run suicides or, you know, whatever. And when, when that would happen, halfway through, a coach, every time he would do this, you're halfway done. And I would be like, gosh, really? You mean I have to go through the same amount of stuff that I went through to get to the pain that I'm in right now? That doesn't make me feel better. But at least I knew where I was, Right? At least I knew I, I, where I was and where I had to get to. And that's the same thing that God does with us in such a loving way. He gives us an indication of process, not a, I did this, I got that, I did this, I got that. Starting in chapter three, John gives us this process. Listen to this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it does not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. It's not about us. It's not about what you can do. It's not about what I can do. John comes back to Jesus 
You have to understand it's based on one word from that first verse. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. It doesn't say, see what kind of love we earned. See how good we are now, and now we are deserving of God's love. No, no, no. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. So we are. It's by God's love and only by God's love that we resemble him. This is where we see the idea and the theory of what salvation is and how it plays out. It's a journey. It's worked out with fear and trembling. Now, now listen to me. There is a starting point to every journey. Just as when Jesus was on the shore with John and James and he said, come follow me. They had two choices, yes or no. They chose yes and began to follow him. Salvation is a journey that starts and is a continual process of purification. And if we go back to Galatians, we see that that's an indication of the process. Now remember the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, against such things there is no law. John addresses this here, it's amazing. Verse four, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sin and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning and no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, and he is, and he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Now we have to be clear again. John is not telling us that if you mess up, all bets are off. If you if you sin again, then you don't have any part in Jesus, you're not saved. If, if you make a mistake, you're done. But what he is saying is that if we keep going back to that sin, we have a resemblance problem. If we keep moving away or if we keep displaying something different than God's resemblance, then we have a resemblance issue. So if we have a resemblance issue, then what is needed is the one who was sent as God's resemblance to us on earth. Again, it's God's problem. There's so many times that I counsel people that I, I kind of know how, how it's gonna go within the first few minutes. That's true. If somebody walks into my office 
And they are, I mean, just completely opposed to God's wisdom, God's truth. I can pretty much tell you they're gonna get the same result that they had when they walked into my office when they walk out. But if somebody comes into my office and says, I got nothing. I've tried it on my own. I've tried to get through it on my own. I've tried to, I've tried to change it on my own. I've tried my own willpower. I've tried everything and I've got nothing. What do I do? I can pretty much tell you the outcome of that as well. It's not rocket surgery. It's a simple concept that if we want to resemble God, we have to be around him. And that's right, I did say rocket surgery. <laughs> I got you. John also lays out in, in this specific passage why. And this is crucial. The reason why is because we have an enemy. And this enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy us. I was, as I was going through this, my, you know, I, I talk about this all week before the message and my, my family has to hear it all week long. And my, wife, my daughter, she's like, Dad, what do you mean by kill? Like, that's really harsh. I mean kill, like dead, like not moving anymore. She's like, well, that's mean. Yeah, it's mean. The devil's mean. But it's that elementary. He's got one thing on his mind, and that's your destruction. And the thing that he's fooled us with is that we think he's a teddy bear. And, uh, you know, not that bad. I don't even know if that devil guy, if that Satan guy, if that Lucifer guy is real. I don't even know if he's, if he's there. I'm telling you, he's there. And he wants to isolate you. He wants to get you away from God. He wants to get you away from your father that loves you. And he wants to kill you. Now, when I talk about waging war this morning, this is what we're fighting against. Dads in the room especially. Because he knows the weight that you hold. He knows what happens when a father begins to resemble our heavenly father and he begins to pass that on to the next generation. He knows what happens. He loses. Now, the awesome thing about it is, and John's gonna tell us in just a second, is that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God, God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God, but this is the evidence, but this is the evidence who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Mic drop. Boom. Boom. <laughs> 
Greatest commandment. Love God, love people, right? Again, God sends his son, Jesus, to solve the problem for us. That our very enemy was overcome by who Jesus is. It can't be overcome by you. And I know maybe for some of us, that's really frustrating, especially for men, man. We wanna, we wanna be prideful and we wanna be strong and we, we wanna take care of things ourselves, or we're just okay with who we are. But Jesus says, I can't leave you there. I love you enough that I am not gonna walk away from you. My job is come to, come, to come and destroy the very thing that is coming to destroy you. And when we stand in the resemblance of our heavenly father, there is no law that can come against us. There is no enemy that can come against us. And we are given fruit in our life that could never be produced, that we could never produce on our own. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a part, pretty darn good deal. John started out his journey with Jesus as a son of thunder. But because of his closeness with Jesus, ended up with the nickname of the apostle of love, the one who describes love to us in the scriptures this change was directly, get this, was directly caused by the time he spent with Jesus. I just want you to hear that simple concept. It was nothing else but the time that he spent walking step to step with Jesus. Most profound thing in this passage is that John is telling the love of Jesus and how he took him from an arrogant, hate-filled jerk to the disciple that would describe the very nature of God's love to us and every generation after us. Dad's gonna tell you that that's what John is yelling at us this morning. He's saying Jesus wants to do the exact thing he did with me. He wants to do it with you. No matter where you are, no matter where you are in the process, maybe you've never even started. Maybe you've never even begun. Maybe today's the day that you step out of the boat and you begin to follow Jesus. Dads, this is what John is telling you for your kids. He doesn't want you to know, he doesn't want you to be known as the son of thunder in your household. He wants you to be known as the beloved Jesus, the apostle of love, the one who speaks encouragement and life and truth and love to our kids and our wives and to those around us, and to those that we work with, and even those that we only see one time in our life, because that may be the only chance that they get to hear. John's saying, if he can do it with me, he can do it with you. Now get out of the boat.
Stop being seasick every day. You smell like fish. Come on, get out of the boat. Maybe today, those around you may may call you a son of thunder. Maybe not that nicely, right? So maybe today you need Jesus to give you a new name. Maybe you need to be called something different, not because of what you can do, but because of what he can do. Can I be honest with you today? The the world doesn't need more Chad. My family doesn't need more Chad. This church doesn't need more of me. My friends don't need more of me. My wife doesn't need more of me. But what those things need more of is Jesus. And the more I abide in him, the more they get what they need. The fruit that I produce because of God's righteousness nourishes those around me. And not only that, but it begins to well up in them the same remnants that my father has given to me. The same resemblance of of who God has laid on me, I can convey and teach to my kids. And even spiritual sons and daughters. People that I'm around that God has given me the ability to speak into their life. Because can I be honest with you? Father's Day is a tough day for me. I lost my dad when I was 23 to alcohol. This is not the easiest day. But you know what makes this day incredible for me personally? Is that God sent righteous men that resembled him into my life to speak truth and love over me. If it weren't for them and God's gift in them to me, I would not be standing in this place right now. Men in this room, it's time that you understand the truth, that God loves you, God is for you, God has a purpose for you, And your purpose is not to stay where you are, but it is to produce fruit that nourishes those around you. So maybe today you need a new name. Maybe it's time that you begin to start following Jesus. Stop making excuses. Stop trying to do it by yourself. But say, God, I can't do this. Done it for a long time and it's not working. 
I'm ready. Every head bowed and every eye closed in this room. If you're sitting here, man or woman, and maybe those around you would know you as a nickname that does not resemble God. Would you just ask God for a new name this morning? Would you step out of the boat you're in and say, God, okay, I'm, I get it now. I get it. I want to resemble you. Let him give you a new purpose this morning. Let him give you a new identity. Why are you holding on to the old you? If today you're ready, and God's pounding in your chest right now, and he's speaking in your ear this morning, it's because he's speaking love over you. And he's asking you to come I've got more for you, he says. If that's you this morning, would you simply pray this with me in all the sincerity that you have? Say, God, I want to resemble you. I need you to give me a new name. I want to leave my old sinful nature behind and I want your nature planted in me. God, please save me from living a life of sin and give me a new life in your righteousness. Thank you for giving me Jesus. Thank you for sacrificing him on the cross in my place. I'm surrendering my life to you I'm getting out of the boat. I'm following you starting today. Now, if you prayed that this morning, man or woman, I want you to do something for me today. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Would you just raise your hand? If you prayed that in this place this morning, would you raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? A couple more seconds. Anybody else? God, thank you that the truth of your word and the love that you have for us changes us. God, I pray over the dads in this room this morning, God, as we celebrate fathers and what it means to be a father, God. I'm praying this morning, God, that, that these fathers in this room would draw as close to you as they can, that they would take John's example and wherever you are, they are. And they're as close to you as they can get. God, that they place themselves on purpose under the authority of your word. God, that they would, they would have time each and every day that they are spending with you, allowing you to speak life and truth over them. 
And God, that they are using the most valuable gift that we've given us and been given, and that is the ability to communicate with you, God. Because of what Jesus did on the cross. God, I pray that these dads in this room and in Jasper and online, whoever is watching this right now, God, that would draw close to you. So that those around them aren't getting any more of them, but they're getting more of you. God, we love you and we thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you for these lives changed in this place. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray.